You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to On the Bench. Our last episode was entitled, More Change Coming? I'm Brendan Sinone, and I'm here to tell you that change did indeed come. Uh, there's a ton of news to get to with more roster attrition occurring this week, making it, uh, depending on how you count it, six to 17 players who have left the program since Mike Norvell took over in December. I wanted to start this podcast by talking about a dream I had of with Chris Nee uh, in a hotel room, but people, uh, people voted against it, guys. They just want the straight news. So, Josh, do you remember the list of the 40 most important players that we did before the season, all the great content we got out of it? Yes, I do. That was that was very fun to do. You loved it, right? Loved it. Our four most important players were number one, Marvin Wilson. For number good Number two, yeah. James Blackman. Mm. <laughs> number three, Tamorian Terry. And number oh, four, Devontae Love-Taylor. Mm. Chris, do you, yes. want to, do you want to share with the people at home what news of four players came out yesterday and go over each one real quick for us and we'll dive into it? Well, it's more than just four, but I know the four you're talking about. Yes, so, and we'll get into the other ones, too. Quarterback James Blackman will no longer be part of the program. Called an opt-out, called quitting, called entering the transportal. It's all of the above. He intends to graduate. He'll transfer. Mike Norvell gave it his blessing. They spoke on Sunday. Decision came pretty soon after that. Tamorian Terry is no longer with FSU. That one did not have as much blessing on top of it. I think that's a matter of where communication kind of faltered between the two parties and aggravation set in. Uh, Devontae Love-Taylor, FSU's most talented and best offensive lineman by grade out this year. He is done for the season due to injury, specific injury not shared. But I was told it was a pretty big whopper and was not a fun one for the young man. Suffered against Pitt. Marvin Wilson, who missed the Pitt game because of injury, we come to find out had a minor procedure, believe it was on the knee. He is also done for the year, also likely done for his career here as we expect him to move on to the pros. Those are the big four that Snowden wanted me to address. Indeed. Indeed, you hit the big four. So let's go through each one here, and then we'll get into some of the other news as well. There's a ton to get to. Well, we also have some 2021 uh, recruiting items as well, and also some mailbag questions that I believe Josh has prepared for for us. Is that accurate, Josh? Yes, okay. correct. All right. We're going to try to move through all this quickly because this is going to be a, a doozy of a podcast. Uh, Devontae Love-Taylor. Josh, I thought the interesting part would – um, obviously, the injury I don't think was surprising. We all saw him on crutches on Saturday. The news that Mike Norvell let out that they would like to have him back next year, that's a possibility. That that caught my attention. Did you notice that? Yes. I think getting Devontae Love-Taylor back is key for FSU turning the corner because he can play, you know, hopefully you bring in a ready-to-go tackle to go with him. Now you you've got your bookends. You feel better about your interior with what we've seen from Maurice Smith and you know what we've heard from some of the young guys coming up. I think getting Devontae Love-Taylor back is key. Um, of course, Mike Norvell is going to make a plea for it. And I also expect him to return. I don't think he's going to go pro. I don't know, you know what his options would be at the NFL level. Um, from everything I've heard, Devontae Love-Taylor is one of the guys that has bought in. Um, I'm told that he has embraced the role of leader. 
He really enjoys going out there every day with these younger guys and, and bringing them along. You know, Devontae Love-Taylor is what, 23, 24 years old right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I, you know, he's kind of like the elder statesman of the group. And based on everything I'm hearing, I think he returns in 2021. I think he saw on Saturday, too, that when you lose him, you lose kind of the communi- communication mm-hmm. channel, the calming influence on the field at that position group. So his value is beyond what he brings individually to playing the position. He carries a lot of value among that young offensive line, which, again, next year we expect to still be pretty young. I'm happy that we'll be able to cover him another year because he is a very mature young man. Uh, that's good to have. Uh, to Maury and Terry, so here's what I'll say on this. If you guys want to elaborate any more, uh, I, I can say that going into the weekend after Saturday's game, Tamar and Terry was frustrated with the production around him. Three quarterbacks, three interceptions. Offensive line took a big step backwards. And and if you guys watched him play, his knee was certainly not 100%. So I believe he was contemplating, okay, do I shut things down with the hopes of, of potentially returning to FSU in 2021? The issue, as I understand it, is and was able to confirm this for, with a couple of sources. He didn't show up to the Sunday practice. He kind of took it on his own to take the day off. Uh, Chris mentioned, and, and we'll talk about this a little bit more with James Blackman, uh, how James handled it with maturity and multiple discussions with Mike Norvell. I don't think that same communication uh, was there with Tamori and Terry based on what I have right now. I'm going to try to dig on that and get a little bit more. Uh, but there was a point when Tamori and Terry would have liked to come back for another year. I think at the end of the day, both sides decided it was best to kind of move on. I'm interested just interested to see what happens with Tamar and Terry. I think we'll probably see him enter the transfer portal and weigh his options. Obviously, he also has the NFL potentially as well. So he – hold on. Let me get this straight. So he he wanted to potentially return for another go-round with it with Mike Norvell. So an off-season, all that kind of stuff. It's not going to be easy. We already know that with Mike Norvell. So he kicks that off by skipping a Sunday practice? From my understanding, yes. Yeah, that's an easy decision on where, <laughs> on his status with the program, I think. Yeah, and he and Terry, or I'm sorry, Terry and Blackman are like the converse of one another with how this was handled. Terry, you know, skips a practice, kind of shuts down on communication, and it plays out as it plays out. Blackman doesn't, well, he didn't practice, but he communicated before not practicing, made the decision to depart had the in-depth conversation. I think we all knew after Blackman threw that pick on the field that that was probably it for him as a mm-hmm. Florida State Seminole. Which and, sucks. He gets booed. That's a shitty way to go out. Yeah, but were they, you know, I, I don't want to go deep okay. down that, but were they booing him? Were they booing the pick? Were they booing the fact that he was put into the game? Were they, they, were, boo- I guess they were booing, were they booing the fact that the offense was dreadful, the fact that FSU was playing poorly? I don't know that that was – I'm sure there were some that were solely – booing James Blackman and that is what it is and those people have to go to bed at night and live with that but you know I, I don't like playing psychologists on why the boos are happening boos happen for a hell of a lot of reasons I don't think it was solely the fact that James Blackman's jersey was on the field Mike Norvell didn't like the boos when James Blackman ran out on the field I wonder what he thought of the boos after the pick because I think those were a lot louder oh yeah they were I mean I didn't notice the boos when he went out on the field as much I noticed him when he threw the pick. It was very pick. audible, very clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'll, yeah, play, but, I'll play psychologist. Those boos were were four years in the making of people just being frustrated by this program. Absolutely. And James, unfortunately, it's not fair, but he's the poster child of absolutely. Of and that. I can see how Mike Norvell sees that as he's trotting James Blackman out there and he's getting booed. But Mike Norvell hasn't suffered through 
right. what these fans, especially those people in the stands, have suffered through that day. Yeah, I think there was a little bit of disconnect with with Mike not being here for four years to kind of understand just how much of the baggage his fan base has had and carried towards towards James Blackman. But anyway, sorry, continue, Chris. I know you did not want to get into this conversation. Here we are. He's also trying to have his players back, and that's always a good right. thing to have your players yes. back and mm-hmm. be like that player. Um, but Blackman communicated. They had the conversation. Blackman made it clear that he intended to graduate, which good for him. Glad he's gotten his degree. That's always important. You know, get something out of it for yourself is how I view it. And then he intends to transfer and try to find the right place for him the next stop. I, I hope Blackman does find success wherever he goes. I hope he does find a good place for him. I hope he finds a very fresh start because, you know, three head coaches, four coordinators. Uh, one of those head coaches had no belief in him at all, and it wasn't hidden very well. That's a tough go for any kid, and he's a kid that he did it with a fair amount of class, and he was a very, very good teammate. So I wish him no ill will on the way out the door. I hope he finds something that works out for him. I think it's best for both parties that that's where we're now at. Last guy to go over for this portion of the the roster transaction, Marvin Wilson. Again, he was number one on our 40 most important list. He shuts his season down early. Surgery, again, believed it would be on the knee. My understanding is that, say, FSU was competing for an ACC title, like in the next week or two, he could come back. But given where FSU is, uh, and this is multiple years he's had injuries, with NFL aspirations, it makes sense for him to shut things down. Uh, I just want to get your thoughts, guys, on the disappointing season of, of Marvin Wilson. He returned with the hopes of, of turning FSU into something special and being kind of a guy who'd be remembered for that. And and it turns out to be kind of the opposite. I think the way the fan base perceives him right now, which I think is unfair, but uh, he's not well liked right now. And and that's unfortunate for him. In hindsight, he should have gone pro last year. Um, As far as the whole fan base reception of him, viewpoint of him, it is unfair. And I have no issue with what he did in the off season But when you do that, I think you have to understand as an individual that to some degree you're kind of creating a hyper focus on you. And if you don't go out and perform at a high level, then, well, the ridicule is going to come with it. And that that's where he's living. That's the reality of his situation. It might not be fair to him. It may not truly be deserved, but that is the reality of what he is dealing with. And I think he understands. I know there's been individuals within the program who have sort of had that conversation with him. And Marv's enough of an intelligent human being who's a thoughtful guy who I think he also gets it. Yeah, I agree with what Chris said. Um, Marv works hard. I think he wants the right things. Uh, but it can't. It comes down to there's a lot of bark and no bite. And that's kind of what FSU fans, are. I think, are going to remember Marv for, at least in the short term, for his time at Florida State. Do you guys want to, uh, what do you think I did after a really long work day where we had a lot of news? Uh, I did a radio spot with Rick Ballou at seven o'clock in the evening. What do you think I did at seven 30? Just not I sure. Winter. Hope you made a run to market square liquors. I had it already ready to go. They gave me a, they hooked me up with a bottle of the weekend usual. It's their wine collaboration with winemaker, uh, Josh Clapper. It's a cab Merlot blend. And I have to say, I'm a, uh, I'm not a, a wine connoisseur to the point where I am like a bourbon one, but I do like a, love me a, a red wine. It was full bodied. It was rich. Uh, their tasting notes say dark cherries and plums and damn it. If I did not get that dark fruit uh, flavor to it, it was really good. Uh, so I would encourage anyone who, who's a fan, fan of red wine 
It has a steak on the menu or like a roast coming up. Go ahead to Market Square Liquors, pick up a bottle of the weekend usual edition one. I believe they're working on an edition two, but that's not out yet. Also, real quick, on November 22nd, from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. outside of Market Square Liquors, it's going to be outside so it's safer. They have a pre-Thanksgiving gift tasting uh, outside on the porch for, for wine. Uh, they will have, let's see, 20 different wines, California, Italy, France, and Australia regions all represented. $15 per person. That's only one five per person with a $5 rebate if you end up buying any of the wines you purchase. So that's a good deal. It's fun date night kind of deal or date afternoon, I should say. You can call them at Market Square Liquors, 850-893-9636. So as we go into some of the other roster news, uh, Chris, I guess we'll start off there real quick. Uh, Jarrett Jackson, you want to touch on that and then some of the injuries and, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, I didn't want to skip ahead. I was trying to behave I, for once. You did wonderfully. Thank you. Nice Jarrett job. Jackson, Louisville transfer, sat out last year and then enrolled at FSU. He had to get an ACC and an NCAA waiver to play this year. Over the span of the last two weeks, he got both of those waivers, so he should be available. Jackson was pretty heavy at the start of the year. I don't know if he's been able to practice himself into better shape. We shall see Saturday. I'm interested to see if he plays and what his rep count is and how much sustained play he's able to do. From an injury standpoint, quarterback Jordan Travis essentially described as day-to-day. Uh, you know, he he's dealing with, I believe, a couple injuries based off the pit game, and he's obviously been banged up a good bit over the last month as he's played. Um, wouldn't shock me at all if Chubba Purdy starts, but I think that's still kind of to be determined here over the next 48 hours. Uh, safety Hampson Nazardine spoken glowingly about again by Mike Norvell yesterday practice more this week than he has at any point more put on him this week than at any point did more team stuff than he has at any point this week it was more of a real game situation than he's dealt with at any point all these things point to optimism he might play I'll believe it when I see it at this point and the other safeties Travis Jay and Renardo Green both of whom were out for the pit game sounds like they're both progressing fairly well and probably a little closer to playing still. I'd probably describe them at least day-to-day and somewhat to be determined. But Norvell sounded optimistic that out of that group of three, they might have one or two of those three safeties available this Saturday. I can add, well, two things to these. Uh, one with Hampson Nazruddin talking to some people, uh, like what Chris said, and Mike Norvell hinted at this, that, that he's had more on his plate than he's had at any point in practice in the season. He's been practicing progressively more and more. Uh, but the way he's practiced this week has led some to believe that they think he's going to play. That's not 100%. We've all kind of been in these waters for a few weeks now, but but the optimism I heard when talking to uh, one specific source yesterday was was more, uh, was more brighter optimism than there's been at any point this season for him playing. So uh, be on the lookout for that with Jordan Travis, like Chris said couple of different injuries. One of those involves a protocol. So that's is indeed day to day and how he's doing uh, with, with the concussion protocol right now. I think that we probably see Chubba Purdy start as of right now, but you know, Jordan all of a sudden is able to, to pass the protocol, then that could be an option too. The issue is he's not practicing. He's not practicing. That's going to make building a game plan around him difficult. You're talking about concussions. Those are tough. You don't know when someone's going to get out of protocol with those plus the shoulder injury potentially still. Um, yeah, I think, what do you say, Josh? Scale of 1 to 10, 10 being 100% uh, chances that we see Chubba Purdy start this weekend? I'd go like 9.2. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, okay. So 92% is another way to say it too. That's clunky. That's on me. I'm not good with numbers or percentages. Uh, yet you have an algorithm. I was going to say plug it into the algorithm. Uh, but if Chubba Purdy does start, and let's assume, I know, Chris, you don't like playing the assuming game, but we're going to do it. So, so You're uh, correct. I do not enjoy playing. I know. I know. I know I'm dealing with a creature of habit. Wait, let's rewind real quick, too. How much did it bother you to not be able to talk about Jared Jackson and the injuries after talking about the first four? Like, Josh, that was driving him crazy, right, to sit on that for 10 minutes? No, I was, I was good. I took a deep breath. I recalibrated, and I was fine. Okay, good. This is progress. We're all, we're all progressing. I'm acknowledging when I'm clunky and I, talking I get much. better as the season goes on. I feel like you were throwing shade somewhere out there, but we won't we won't dive into that. Uh, but if Chubba Purdy does start as expected, this to me is, is symbolic of the full-on youth movement. Like people wanted the youth movement. It's been gradually like boiling frog, getting more and more. Uh, I think we'll probably see like 80% freshmen and sophomores playing significant snaps this weekend. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong there, but we're going to see a lot of young guys out there with Chubba probably taking the reins and, and representing that youth movement. This is the third or fourth preseason game where you're starting to figure out the roster cuts and you need to see what you have at your disposal and evaluate your roster fully. That's where we're at in the college football season for Florida State. (laughs) Uh, Do you even want to get into the NC State preview, Chris? Do you want to do a real quick 247? I don't have to spend more than a minute or two on that. Yeah, I mean, obviously the name that's going to pop out to a lot of people is Bailey Hawkman. He's expected to be the starting quarterback for NC State in this one. He replaced Devin Leary, who broke his, I believe it was left fibula earlier this year. Hawkman kind of is still the same dude he's always been. He's 60 for 98 for 779, five passing touchdowns, five interceptions this season. He's caught a touchdown. He's also rushed for a couple touchdowns. You know, he's capable. He's able to push it down the field. Uh, truthfully, on that offense, the guys that I look at, and I think, man, those guys can light up the scoreboard. He's on a night. He's a running back for him, a sophomore. He's a dynamic dude. He can catch it. He can run it. He's also an excellent return man. Ricky Person Jr. is a little bit more of a banger. He's going to – run it down your throat. He's also a solid running back. Those make a really nice one-two combo. Mecca Amizi is a real talented six foot three, 220 pound wide receiver, physical guy. He'll give you some fits on the outside. If they match him with like an Asante, he will challenge Asante from a physical standpoint. They've got a nice little receiving group with him, Devin Carter, Thayer Thomas, and Porter Rooks. Porter Rooks is one of the better freshmen in the ACC. He's got 15 for 181 so far this year, but he's a guy that will probably step into like that role of Amizi after this year when he moves on more than likely. Defensively, they run a stack. It's a 3-3-5. So they're going to try to create pressure by basically consuming your line with a large nose guard, Aline McNeil, six foot two, three twenty. It's kind of that dude. And then they want their linebackers to fit and get downhill, fill holes, and also pressure. Uh, the linebacker to know is probably Peyton Wilson, leads the team with 65 tackles, has two of their six picks on the season. He leads the ACC in tackles per game at 10.8. He has six tackles for loss in a sack and a half. Drake Thomas and Isaiah Moore, the two other linebackers at Sam and Mike, among the foursome that they run out there that you probably need to know the most. NC State's uh, kryptonite, so to say, right now is that they're kind of getting gouged through the air. Their uh, secondaries had a lot of issues in the last two outings. They've allowed 1,198 yards to their two opponents. That was UNC who put up 578 and Miami who put up 620. They've also on the year allowed 38 explosive plays, rushes of 10 or more, passes of 20 or more. So that's one of those areas where you can get them. So it's one of those games where if FSU is able to create some shot opportunities, they probably can find some success with it. But at the same time, they're stopping NC State's offense, which has been somewhat explosive in its own right this year. That's probably going to be a concern for FSU. 
The last thing I want to talk about before we take our commercial break, going back to some of the roster attrition. So right now we're talking about Tamori and Terry and James Blackman, no longer actually on the active roster. Marvin Wilson, he's on the roster. He's going to be around helping the team out. We saw him being engaged on the sideline with the whiteboard on Saturday. He's going to continue to kind of have that role. Uh, but for he's technically on the roster for all intents and purposes. He's he's not really a part of the dynamic of, of playing right now. Uh, it was more or less a, an opt-out in a way. Uh, so 16 to 17, depending on how, if you count Marvin Wilson as an opt-out or not, guys are no longer part of this team from when Mike Norvell started the job in December. So less than a calendar year, we've had 16 to 17 players uh, leave the program. How do we absorb that amount of attrition? Josh, I'll start with you. Like, is this ultimately, we've talked about the purge and, and recalibrating the roster. Is this a good thing? It could be. I mean, it could be a bad thing. Anytime you talk about purging the roster, people want the roster purge. We got to get rid of these players. Well, that's assuming that you're bringing better players in. If you're not bringing better players in, then you're not getting better. Um, And also, if you're not bringing the numbers in, you know, FSU is going to be hard for them to field an 85-man roster next season. I don't think it's impossible. Um, But at the rate that guys are leaving – you know, I don't know if there's that many quality options that FSU wants to bring on board just in season one. So long term, it's a good thing. Short term, it depends. Yeah, I view it as if you look at it, it's basically like a segment of your whatever deep roster. So, you know, 22 players make up your offense and your defense on each level of your roster. At this point, FSU is at 16 or 17 minus a few linebackers departing, they essentially have the equivalent of one layer of their entire roster departed. They certainly needed guys to leave this program, and there's still some others that probably still need to leave. The issue is that at some point that depth is going to catch up to you. You're going to have injuries. You're going to have guys that leave that you don't want leaving, things of that sort, and it's going to cause an issue where you're playing a guy in a position who's not ready to play or who simply isn't capable of playing at the level that you need them to play at. That's what they're going to run into. They need to recruit at a higher level than they are. They need to find portal magic, which is a big gamble going into it all because it's such a – you don't go into portal knowing, oh, we're going to have success getting this guy because there's going to be so much competition for certain guys at certain levels in the portal. So that's a big situation. That's going to be something they're going to have to tackle. I think that roster issue is going to be a major issue, obviously, for the remainder of this season. But I think it permeates into next season. I don't think it recalibrates for quite a while. Well, let's yeah. let's dive into that real quick because one, I think there's going to be about four to eight more players safely that we can say will probably leave by let's say spring, you know, sometime in the in this upcoming off season. Correct me if you think I'm way off on that, guys. Uh, but then secondly, what that does, and this may be what you're getting at, Chris, the 85 man roster of the allowed scholarships is a little bit different this upcoming year because seniors are allowed to return uh, in 2021. But I think FSU is going to struggle to field a full uh, allotment of roster spots given the attrition they're going to have mm-hmm. and, the, and the cap of 25 men in a class. Do you agree with that, that Josh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was it to Josh because he said, give me the mm-hmm. But then he drank Well, tea. I mean, that's just kind of what I said on the – I think it's going to be – I don't think it's impossible to fill the 85. But like we said, you got to – if you're getting rid of guys, like you got to bring players of a better caliber in if you want to ultimately improve – you can't just bring guys to clog up the roster. So I don't know if it's can they get to the 85 or do they want to get to the 85? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm always such an adamant believer of the numbers work out. But in this case, I'm not entirely convinced they do. I think that you may see them play a little bit shorthanded next year. I don't think they're going to uh, 
you know, do themselves in like the Kansas program did when David Beatty took over and they had, I think it's like 35 scholarship players. They're not going to reach that point, but could they be hanging out in the seventies? And I'm talking like 10 under it wouldn't shock me at all. Mm-hmm. And which is what they're close to right now, but this is, you know, with four games left in the season uh, for what it's worth, like Willie Taggart went into a couple seasons, especially I think it was last season short, like five guys uh, by the time this season was a few weeks into it, FSU was short about five guys. It's just tough. During the COVID era with all the protocol and testing, uh, you, you're kind of always living on the razor's edge if you're not at the full 85, uh, any yeah. sort of vulnerability there is. There's also some happening. guys that aren't even sure they want to go to practice. So that yeah. kind of also makes it hard to reach 85. One wild, what a wild card in all of this is if the NCAA changes roster limits and also the amount you're allowed to bring in in a single year and a two-year combination type situation. If that happens, FSU can – truly live in a portal and pursue even more and kind of fill the roster in with some band-aids just to allow them to have good practice depth mm-hmm. next year. You know, maybe guys that not necessarily are going to help them on the field on Saturdays, but do help them prepare for Saturdays. And that might help them fill in the numbers. So I, I think it's one of those things that's kind of tough to forecast, but it's definitely trending towards a direction where if it's a 25-man limit, it's going to be a little tougher FSU to reach the point of filling it, the roster at 85. Yeah, it's going to be interesting in a monitor moving forward because there are a lot of variables, like you said, Chris. It's that's going to be the reality. The reality, though, the FSU swimming in those waters of of some unknown when it comes to filling an entire roster. Nonetheless, like Josh said, uh, building it in a way that's that's constructive and productive. All right, we're going to take a quick commercial break. On the other side, a little bit of hoops action for Chris. Uh, some twenty twenty one recruiting, and then some mailback questions. Stick with us. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, welcome back to On the Bench. Chris, I'll give you a minute or so here. Yeah, you know what? Two minutes. You've worked really hard. Kneecap, a kneecap on the hoop signing class. And I don't know if you want to get into scheduling stuff. Do we want, Josh, do we want to get into scheduling stuff or do you want to hold off on, on hoop schedule for another oh, for, podcast? Yeah, well, we can hold off. I mean, why give all the people the goods one day? Yeah, hey, don't give it all up, Chris. Just do the most the most newsy stuff today, please. Well, it's fitting that you give me two minutes to talk about the number two ranked class in the nation. Hey Florida yo. State signed four. All four signed yesterday. The schools officially announced all four signing. They put out releases on two of the four. The class is excellent. Matthew Cleveland, five-star small forward, kind of a wing type, excellent player from the Atlanta, Georgia area. Five-star combo guard, but I think he's more of a point personally. Jalen Worley, he's from Pennsylvania from the West Town School Great, great program. Cam Reddish, I think Mo Bamba, a bunch of other guys have come out of there in recent years. Excellent, excellent program. 
John Butler, seven foot one, buck ninety, so thin, long, but very athletic kid. Uh, center from Greenville, South Carolina, Christ Church Episcopal School. He also signed, and then Naheem McLeod, familiar name from a couple years ago. They stowed him away at Chipola. Always had the intention of bringing him back in after he didn't qualify a few years ago when he came out of, uh, I believe it was Pennsylvania that he came out of, and they re-signed him. 7'3", 230, big man, coordinated, got some range. He's a dude that Leonard Hamilton has loved since he was a high school recruit, still loves him as a college recruit. They signed those four. I don't expect them to add another one during the early period. Bryce McGowan's is a name that some people look at. At this point, he's down in Nebraska and Georgia with a Friday decision expected. Most people think it's going to be Nebraska where he'll play with his brother and a uh, close friend who he used to play with in high school hoops. So that's kind of where we stand as the early signing period goes to bed. It runs through next Wednesday. But as I said, I'd be surprised if FSU adds another. Will they add another in the 21 class before it's all said and done in the spring? Maybe. I don't think it's a certainty. I think they're going to see how the roster kind of plays out, what they expect to keep, what they expect to lose from the roster from this season, and if they need to use that number now or aim for the 22 class with that number. So, Plus eligibility, obviously, is something that could come into a situation if the NCAA makes decisions regarding that with spring sports. Um, Quick things on hoops. Women will open at FAMU on November 25th. Men will open at FSU on the 27th against Gardner-Webb. That's what starts it. The women play four non-conference. The men play five. They both play 20-game conference schedules. Oh, and all ACC preseason stuff came out. I'll be real quick with it. Scotty Barnes, first team, also preseason freshman of the year in the league, first ever for FSU. MJ Walker, second team honors, came in third for player of the year honors. FSU picked to finish third behind Virginia, who hasn't been picked first, I think, since 82 and then Duke, who's your normal blue blood at the top for, for the ACC. So I legitimately did not know if Josh was there or not. Do you think he's there, Chris, just looking at the computer screen? Josh is there. I can see him. Okay. I couldn't tell because it's dark and in the shadows, and I saw the foot wiggle. So we, he's there. There's his wiggly feet. All right. Do we want to get into the two guys FSU offered first or the intel Josh had with the guy that they're recruiting but have not offered? How do we want to start this off, recruiting? Give it to Josh and let him take the reins and run. Yeah, let's go um, first of all with the two players that Florida State offered. After my bedtime last night, um, Chris posted these to the Knowles 24-7 board around 10 p.m. Um, Florida State offered Trussellville, Alabama, four-star running back Armani Goodwin. Um, he's currently committed to Auburn, and he has been since May 22nd. Uh, he has over 20 offers. It's a little bit odd that Florida State's jumping in the mix right now. So both Chris and I are making phone calls this morning, trying to kind of figure out the reasoning here. And if there is a optimistic chance that FSU could flip him from Auburn, um, we'll have more on that on Knowles 24-7 as the day goes on. Real quick on Goodwin. Yeah, go ahead. That, that commitment to Auburn actually happened in 2019, May 22nd of 2019. Okay. So that's when Marcus Woodson and Kenny Dillingham were both we're part of the Auburn program. Gotcha. So we're going to find out if something's going on with his commitment to Auburn and you know if there's a reason for the offer. The other one that went out last night was to Austin Uke. He's from Dallas, Texas. A 2021 offensive tackle, um, six foot four, 265 pounds, offered by Coach Atkins. He had also previously been hearing from Chris Thompson, uh, who recruits that area for the Seminoles. Um, he has not visited, watched his film, 
I think he could play guard or tackle. He's maybe built more like a guard, but he has some athleticism and some size to potentially play on the outside. Um, moving on to one more player that we had news on yesterday. I reached out to Austin Barber, who's an in-state offensive lineman from the Jacksonville area. Two days ago, he decommitted from Minnesota, reopened his recruitment. Um, I reached out to the six foot seven, 295 pound barber, and he tells me that FSU has made contact with him. He was hoping to get on the phone with Coach Alex Atkins last night. Um, he does not have an offer from FSU. He told me that he's been hearing since his decommitment, he's heard from FSU, Texas, Miami, Missouri, Purdue, and Penn State. Um, I think FSU is going to hold off. I don't think they're going to offer him right now, meaning today or tomorrow. Uh, they view him more as a guard. I know he's six foot seven, two ninety five, but I think it comes down to athleticism. Chris, he's from the Jacksonville area. Are you familiar with him? Have you seen Austin Barber play at all? I have not seen him play. I am familiar with him. I know a couple of people tied to the Trinity program. Uh, his film year over year is an improvement. I think that's probably the biggest thing I like about him is that he appears to be getting better. Not one of these guys that's topped out. Probably an interior guy. I agree with the assessment that he's probably a guy who ends up playing guard, despite the measurements kind of making you want to lean tackle. Shocking that Chris stuck him at guard. <laughs> no, it's the word I got from uh, from my sources within the program as well. Is that he's primarily a guard in their in their view due to his athleticism. So he's a guy they're going to continue to talk to, build a relationship with, potentially recruit down the road. If anything develops with him, we'll have an update on Knowles twenty four seven. One thing to add on the Texas offensive lineman that Josh mentioned, he committed to Holy Cross on September 20th, then started playing his senior season. Since October 27th, he's picked up SMU, who picked up some crystal balls. Houston, Vanderbilt, USC, Penn State, Florida State. The FSU and Penn State offers both came after a midseason film dropped in the last couple of days. His film's pretty good. He's a kid that mm-hmm. he has a very long wingspan. I think it's 81 inches. That allows him to do a little bit more for his height than you would think, where he could right. play tackle. In uh, uh, Alex Atkins loves the lengthy arm span, wingspan. That's a big that's a big uh, checkbox for him, Chris. You like that? Checking the box? Well, what was the kid's name that went to Lakewood High School and went to Georgia, Chris? Isaiah Wynn. Isaiah Wynn. So here's the thing with Isaiah Wynn. Isaiah Wynn was a six-foot-three, like 290-pound, everybody's called him a guard center. And his reach, though, was immaculate. And I always I asked a couple uh, coaches on, on the college level, I said, what's more important, two inches in height or like the four or five inches on his arms to keep defenders away? And a lot of coaches were like, oh, you know, the height does matter. Not a, not a lot of players want to not a lot of coaches want to put him at tackle, but he's playing offensive tackle for the New England Patriots right now. He was a first-round draft pick for the New England Patriots. Right. Show where they. If they you got long that. arms and good feet, and you've got some formidable strength, give me a. I'll take you. You mm-hmm. can play anywhere on my line. And at every and level, they were peg Isaiah Wynn is a is a center, and um, the New all England because Patriots. all because of an inch or two of height. Right. Right. Yeah. Do you remember what Jimbo Chris? Remember what Jimbo said about Lorenzo Featherston and his uh, being six seven instead of six four. What those three inches were no he said they're three inches of greatness if i remember i was driving down a zigzag road somewhere in california out at i might have been covering the semper fi bowl before the fsu national championship 
when Featherston committed or somewhere in that ballpark. I just remember driving down a zigzag road as he was committing because I damn near ended up in an accident. I know that shocks you. That's the one thing about the pandemic that I haven't missed is uh, Chris driving me all over the place. Actually, your driving's gotten better. I have to be honest. All right, Josh, do you want to get us to the, is there anything recruiting or do you want to go to the, no, I got one major note in recruiting before we get to the mailbag. The NCAA has extended the college uh, dead period, the the recruiting dead period. So no visits until the month, month of April now. So that means 2021 recruits will have no option to take an official visit during their recruitment. Um, I think that the early signing day will go off as scheduled. I think the late signing day will go off as scheduled. I don't think we're going to see any changes to those, but we will not see visits in 2021 or in 2020 recruiting. That's been proposed, not yet actually enacted, but it will be next Wednesday. Almost certainly Mm -hmm. almost always happens that way. Um, And I'd heard that actually from non-football sports from two different sports in the last month that they expected it to last till around mid-April. Just to put that in perspective in another way, that's essentially the spring game date for FSU. Mm. So think about a whole spring of visits being wiped out right now. Junior day. In addition to 2021 kids. So good times. Tax day too. It's really great for a new coach and a program that has no momentum to be incapable of hosting anybody ever. This was not the year to have the worst season in program history and not be able to host recruits to change their mind. So, all right, let's get on to the mailbag. That's going to cheer us up and lift mailbag. Oh, brutal. What do we got? Uh, you, uh, Brendan, do I have all time to <laughs> read through the mailbag or do you just want me to hit the high? I don't, I'm here. Hey, I have to go to therapy at 1 PM. It's 8 52 AM mm. right now. I have, I have, another, got, I have another podcast at nine 30. So I'm a hard out at nine 28. What? Who, 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 po- what podcast are you going on? How dare pack, you? Buddy. I'm, I'm, opponent preview type stuff ah 007 okay here we go I here we go trade. uh dub quacker wants to know will we ever achieve happiness again i need answers newberg um for those of you that tie your self-worth and your happiness to your football team happiness might not be coming for a while for those of you that get outside and do some stuff i think you're already living a happy life okay phil s goodman wants to know do you expect Norvell to replace any current coaches with mercenary-type recruiters this offseason, similar to Brewster or Craig, in hopes of giving recruiting a shot in the arm? Chris? Do I expect it? I'll say no. Do I think it might be a worthwhile way of going about business? Yeah. Agree. Anything to add there, Brendan? One thing with coaches and vacancies, I don't think we've talked about this on the podcast yet. Ron Dugans and Odell Higgins, I'm 99.9% sure need to check the contracts. I think their contracts expire at the end of January, I think it they is. They do. We, yeah. we checked them. Me okay. and Chris did. You did just now? <laughs> no, I think, Chris, didn't you check the, the Dugans one for me? Or was that I, know, I know I definitely looked at Dugans, and I yeah. believe Odell is under the same umbrella of contract law right now. So, yeah, I think it was January 31st just, of 2021. Mm-hmm. Just so we're, we're clear, then I go ahead and hustle and get the contracts, and then you guys just push me out entirely of that conversation. Sorry, buddy. Okay. All right, next question. I'm just saying they have the CHS flexibility Noel to wants to know, how many more times is Brendan – no, how many more opt-outs should we expect? I think Brendan said it at four to eight, so average of six. I'll take just under the – well, opt-out is a funny word, as some of these players (laughs) learned this past week. So I don't know that we have opt-outs. How many more departures? I think four to six, maybe eight is a fair number. 
do we do we count seniors uh not coming back as part of that when they have the option to uh if it's a guy that they expected back or a guy that may potentially come back i think right. that's fair if it's a guy like hamsa who we think will go pro even if he doesn't play i don't think it's fair so you kind of got to judge it on a per player basis i also think we need to set a time frame on that i'm not convinced four to six more guys quit over next month i'm sorry i didn't mean quit well i did but i didn't actually <laughs> say it. <laughs> but I, I think we have that many before the spring rolls around <laughs> um did i say quit Nah, I've been <laughs> like five times, but it's okay. You D Pudge it. wants to know an updated confidence level in Norvell, one to ten. I think last time I was at like a full six. We called it full six, yes. Yeah, and I, I, was at a and full I did not six. make the, I did not make the joke. Uh, Probably making a soft four right now. I'm on a scale of one to ten. What are you at, Chris? I'm going with a solid five. I uh you know, I I'm gonna give the man time, but I'm also not gonna jump on a stump and yell from the top of my lungs. Brendan. In my in the Sonone house, we call it a solid six. Okay. That's a good day for you then. What would it take for us to win nine games next year? Like a 20-game season? What do you think it would take for us to win nine games next year? Nine FCS opponents. <laughs> Brendan, nine games next year. What's uh, what transfer it portal's got to be pretty damn good to FSU. <laughs> All right. Bloom246. If the Scott if this 25 25- scholarship limit is held up how many spots do you think we'll have left open that can be filled i presume they're asking in the sense of what they already have committed while they have i think it's 16 is the number we're at let's say they lose one or two of those so 14 so that's 11 spots i think that number changes so i think both the number they're able to bring in and number of what they're working with so i'd say 11 to 15 right now the sweet spot i feel like is you need to bring in at least eight grad transfer or juco or guys with experience that can elevate the floor of the room i think that's kind of the minimum of what you need all right tampa Knoll, shout out 813 first of all mm-hmm. tampa Knoll wants to know compare the trust slash sentiment around the organization amongst the players for norvell a coaching norvell coaching's up versus Willie this far into year one. Okay, so compare the trust in the organization and amongst the players for Norvell versus Willie this far into year one. So if you can remember back into year one, uh, we were entering the period where we were beginning to hear what, the Walt Bell rumors? This like, was about the Notre Dame time. Yeah, this was Notre form. Dame. Yeah. And, that's okay, when, Notre and Dame. that's when confidence was starting, uh, correct, Chris? That's when confidence was starting to waver internally around oh, yeah. that time. That's when it was abundantly clear the ship was rudderless. Yeah. Now, in year two, it changes because that's a full year of Willie's guys that he, like that was his first full class. So the 2019 guys, the ones who were sophomores now, uh, there was more buy-in at the beginning of the year, but the upperclassmen at, at we had heard had already seen quite enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's, there's plenty of upperclassmen in this group so, who clearly haven't bought in, but there are some that certainly have. It sounds say. very similar. Yeah, it does. That's what happens when you don't win games. Like this is kind of yeah. a byproduct. The issue that Mike Norvell has, well, many of the issues, including like the COVID off season and, and not having time to really adapt and, and learn his guys uh, before the season. He also has players who were recruited by Jimbo Fisher and Willie Taggart. So he has guy, multiple guys on his roster who didn't sign up for this and then were like didn't sign up for the thing they had before either. I, would say I also that, think that Willie Taggart wanted things to work out really well. I think he wanted all his players to like him. I think he wanted everybody to get along. Norvell ain't got that issue. Well, 
I think Norvell in the beginning, you know, of course he wants everybody and he wants them to buy in. But at this point in year one, he's saying, just get the F out. And I don't, and I think Willie was still trying to kind of mask the issues from going public. Willie tried to let DeAndre Francois come back again. Yeah. I feel like Taggart was never quick to kind of have a roster clearance. So I feel like Norvell would actually prefer it. So I think that's the biggest difference between the two in the sense of where we sit at this point in the, time of both of them being the FSU head coach real quick. There, there is some kind of relief. I feel like, do you guys agree with me? Like beginning of the year, I think Mike Norvell was trying to have a balancing act of, you had Tamori and Terry and Marvin Wilson coming back. So you had this win now approach, like you mm-hmm. want to make it pay off. That obviously did not happen. Now they're both out of the picture more or less. And just in general, I feel like there's to me some sense of relief to where there is a direction. It may not be the ideal direction. You may not have wanted to go full scorched earth and, and be playing. Right almost entirely freshmen and sophomores, but now that's what you are. You're not balancing it anymore. And I, I think there's some value to that in, in formulating a direction and having clarity. The message has also been consistent of we're going to build this and we're going to build it the right way. Now, whether or not it works out, who knows, but it has been consistently stated that way from the beginning to now. And obviously there's been a great deal of change between December and now. Mm-hmm. TB Golf 714, do you see any other former Norvell staffers joining this program in any capacity? Um, well, right now there's no there's no on-field positions open. Um, I don't I don't know about former Norvell staffers joining this program in any capacity. Sure, I think there could be some off-field hires. I mean, if there is a some movement on the regular coaching staff, on the on-field coaching staff, yeah, I definitely think Norvell's going to probably dip into his bag of former assistants and try to bring somebody on. Um, anybody stand out to you, Chris or Brendan, specifically? I feel like this is an indirect question of, do you think Dan Lanning could end up in Tallahassee? Right. <laughs> I mean, the, just come out and ask it. Who's the defensive line coach that you brought up a week or two ago, Chris? I think he's at Deke. Auburn now. That, no, it's Deke. He's at uh, – where is Deke? I think he might be at Mississippi State. I think he's at one of Mississippi schools. But, yeah, Deke Adams. Another interesting, like, if, let's say, Ron Dugan's contract expires and FSU says, okay, this isn't for us, uh, good luck elsewhere. Coach Yak loves coaching wide receivers more than he likes coaching running backs, right? Like, that's that's his Mm -hmm. his love. Uh, If you were to move him to wide receivers and then you're able to hire a top-tier recruiter at the running back position, uh, which is typically what that – you know, what that coaching spot is allocated for, your best recruiter, that's currently Yak. But if you can double that down with another really good recruiter, I don't know if that's necessarily a Norvell guy, but that's a, a scenario that I have in, kind of on the back burner that I'm watching for. How about that? That's good. O-line 0175, can you speak to things you've heard behind the scenes about Mike Norvell and his staff's organization? Um, I guess I'll hit recruiting. Uh, You can talk about the team from a recruiting standpoint. I think the organization is on par to, you know, what it was in the early Jimbo years when it comes to recruiting. Now the results aren't there. Um, Do I agree with some of the strategies? Maybe most of them I do. Maybe some of them I don't, you know, not hitting Florida as hard as, as maybe they should or could. Um, But to their credit, they have options. They have um, plans. I like the fact that we don't get called three times a week to make sure a certain assistant or assistants um, are getting credit for their recruits on their 24 seven bios. I think the focus is on the right thing. The results aren't there, but I think the focus and organization, at least when it comes, and I'm talking about recruiting is miles better than it was under Willie Taggart. I'm 
glad you brought up that fond memory of me just going, just tell me who the hell to put on there. I don't care. The issue was they didn't know. And well, uh, yeah. Nobody was focused on the right things. And that was one of the issues. And that's why there was no organization. They just weren't focused on the right things. I think this staff is focused on the right things. They're mining talent. It's not stopping. Um, is the talent good enough or, or to the standard that FSU needs? Probably not. But the effort and the organization is there. Yeah, I don't, I don't think organization's an issue with this. I think it's more a really bad football team that there's not a very quick solution for. By November of last or year one under Willie Taggart, we were hearing leaks coming out of the coaching office of coaches being unhappy with the head man and not liking their role. We were hearing that from administration, some concerns about the way the program was being managed. Uh, we haven't heard any of that to date, and I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Okay. Cbus Noel eighty four. What's it like running an FSU site with a year like this? Do you think there's widespread apathy forming in the fan base with this program? Um, it's an interesting time. So we're at an all time high last month of paying members, which is kind of weird. But at the same time, I kind of do feel like there's some apathy setting in. What about you guys? It's certainly, there's apathy. Um, I think there's a lot of acceptance that it's a really bad program. It's going to be bad for a good while at least. Um, so yeah, apathy certainly comes with that. I think the one nice thing about FSU fans, um, and the fan base in general is that there is still a lot of interest in a lot of different things with FSU. It's not solely football only football drives the bus, not trying to act like it doesn't, but there's a niche of baseball fans. There's a growing niche of basketball fans, you know, even women's soccer and softball have very adamant diehard fans. So there's some of that to hang on to. And luckily those programs are all still doing very, very well. Well, football's obviously struggling a great deal. I have a couple of friends that I've made through work, through covering this team uh, that are fans, diehard fans of Florida state, or I should say were more so diehard fans. Uh, one, two days ago told me that he's unsubscribed to every FSU podcast. Another no. one. And I was hurt by that. And he won't hear this, so fuck you. Uh, and then another one didn't even know yesterday, like at 4 p.m., that Marv and Terry and, and those guys were no longer on the team. Like they were just completely in, in the dark. So I think that speaks to kind of the apathy that people are having with the program. They're going to get their news. They're going to pay attention. They're going to come to the message board. They're going to listen to podcasts eventually, but it's not appointment right now. What other program has been as tumultuous consistently for several years, year over year, as FSU? Tennessee? Tennessee was the I was going to say Tennessee. Of. Tennessee yeah. is the one that always comes to mind for me. Uh, I guess maybe Mississippi State because they're, what, on their third coach in four years now? Yeah. No, so I guess I there's some there. Ole Miss as well. So you got the Mississippi drama to an extent. Um, yeah, but I like the Tennessee fit more because they've won a national championship. You know, like, well – Thanks for reminding me of that memory when that I was, was 15. I appreciate that. Thanks, but what buddy. I mean is they've been there before. At least they've been there in the modern era. You can't say teams like Ole Miss and Mississippi State are, are wallowing in the same situation as FSU fans have because FSU fans have tasted what it feels like as Tennessee fans to be an elite program. Mm -hmm. Mississippi you, State fans and Ole Miss fans, like they, you know, they, they, they come up to the top every now and again, but they're bottom feeders for the most part year in, year out. And we just we just lost every fan in Mississippi we have who's not an FSC fan. Good job, Josh. Luke Altmaier. I don't want him here anyway. 
I think we also like Texas and USC are two other ones. I think we just probably we hear yeah. Tennessee and the Mississippi schools more because their recruiting and stuff kind of falls into the footprints of what we cover more. So we see that a little bit more. But those are two others that have been uh, had plenty of of drama when it comes to coaching the last okay. few years. Tone Capone has a couple questions here, so bear with me. This is a rebuild. Okay, that's not a question. That's a statement. Correct. What should we get excited about on the trail, given we won't be competing for the elite players? I think what you can get excited about is new names emerging. Um, hopefully, FSU goes after players of need at positions like defensive end and offensive tackle, defensive tackle. So just learning the new names that are popping up. Um, next question. Or Chris, do you have anything to say about that? I, from a trail standpoint, I'd just say the portal. I think the portal is where solutions for next year are more likely to come from than the high school ranks. 21 is kind of a wash in the high school ranks for FSU. Yeah, so that answers the next question. Do we just get excited about three stars with projectable frames at OT, DN, and other various positions of need? Yeah, we're we're at that point. FSU needs to recruit like an elite power five right now. I'm sorry, an elite group of five. They need to find those kids that are margin kids, you know, for whatever reason, the two major in-state programs or three major in-state programs didn't recruit them, but they're they're still a damn good football player who can help you win games. They need to find some of those kids. I'm surprised they haven't been a little bit more aggressive with some of those types committed elsewhere as this year's kind of waned on and the process has been as dreadful as it has been in the sense of not allowed to have visits and all that. I'm, I just I think that's where it is. I think they've kind of fallen back on a reserve if we're going to be more portal recruiting team this year than that. I kind of wish it was a little bit more balanced to it personally. That's just my viewpoint on it. That might have been the most painful thing that Chris has said on this podcast, and it's true, but that's that's tough to digest that FSU has to recruit like an elite group of five team right now. Just find the guys that help like a Cincinnati win a lot of games or a uh, SMU helps them put up points or Memphis. Yeah, those types. Like, I'm not saying that I want to live in that permanently. I just think for the current circumstances and environment, if you're looking for three to five guys that might help you, there's probably three to five of those types you can find. I'm not saying that's what I want them to become as a recruiting department. I'm saying that's what I think it might be worthwhile to do in the short term. Mm -hmm. That's what they have to do. Okay. How weird is it going to be that FSU will be a non-factor on the early signing day in the traditional signing day in terms of national headlines? Well, I'd say it'd be really weird if it didn't happen last year to us as well. So I'm probably a little bit more used to it this year. It it hasn't been a factor since what Jaden Lars would be maybe on that early signing period that last day where we were all paying attention. Like that's the last time I think that we've spent a lot of time on a big name recruit on national signing day well sam howell it just went the other way but nick we kind of knew that at it that just point. went the other way but we kind of knew those at that well nick cross i guess had some drama that lingered on but sam howell we'd kind of uh expected yeah. at that point yeah so it'll be just another uh early signing day uh 55 noel wants to know a rebuild suggests fsu has all its issues pointing in the right direction it's just a matter of time do you believe fsu has all its issues pointed in the right direction now. If not, what outstanding concerns does the program have, if any? Brendan, throw that to you first. One, I disagree that a rebuild implies that there's necessarily direction. I think that's mm-hmm. the first step to where you have to gut it, if that's what you're saying. There's, there, We talked about that earlier. There's some uh, relief to that. But that yeah, doesn't mean that you have – I got to – I'll rephrase it. 
Okay. If this is a rebuild, do you think we're still in the demo process or are we actually in the rebuild yet? We're still in the demo. We're at, the, I think, the final stages of the demo. And then I can let you know whether FSU has everything pointed in the right direction. Because I don't know that's still TBD. We're no, still, I agree. We're still tearing down the house. We're yeah. still searching for rock bottom, but we're getting pretty damn close to it. <laughs> should we're I find the foundation? Was the Miami rock bottom column premature in hindsight? A new rock bottom. That's what we're searching for. Brendan, how many rock bottom articles have you written in the last three years? <laughs> the cool thing about the Miami rock bottom article was that it was with Miami and Dwayne Johnson and the rock and no one picked up on it. Do you smell art F says, am I crazy or did the defense look kind of okay last week against Pitt? Chris, is he crazy? I don't think he's crazy, but I think it's also a matter of Pitt can't run the ball to save their lives. Pitt, Pitt, I believe, still ran for their second most yards in a game against FSU last week, so I'm not about to go crown the defense. Yeah, defense looked fine. They didn't look great. It was against a pretty marginal offense with a quarterback coming off of a major injury. Kenny Pickett was insanely efficient, and his jersey was still clean in the fourth quarter, and he was playing on one bad wheel. So I'm not here to crown no defense. It was the first time, I think, all season that the defense was the most competent unit of the three uh, in a game. So maybe that's what Well, we're congrats. The others dropped below the bar. That's I'm just what we saying, just said. I'm just saying, I think that's what we're seeing here. So I'm on. The, I'm getting towards the end of page one. We have four pages of questions. Oh, my God. I think some of it, I check like by three to four, people are start arguing with each other, which is par for the course. Okay. Uh, just We got we got 20 more minutes until Chris has to go. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll just go for another 20 minutes. All right. To the best of y'all's knowledge, what players do you think were the ringleaders behind the players only meeting to gripe about practice? I don't know. I know. I don't. Probably. I don't feel comfortable sharing. Should I share? I don't feel. What, help me out, Chris. Here, whisper the names to me and I'll share them. <laughs> <laughs> I look at the guys that are opting out, right? No, like, well, one may be opting. Uh, damn it. Can I say it when they're not here anymore? I don't know. <laughs> Just, I mean, who gives a, we got more questions to read, but I'm not moving on until we get some names. Um, well, okay. All right. Sure. Now I'll go ahead and say, this is what I was told. Uh, Jordan Travis, Deontay Sheffield had some parts in, in talking about it. Corey Durden was another one. Uh, there's at least one more I can think of, or can't think of right now. There's four names I was given. Okay. Tampa Knoll 776, what are the chances of Ron Dugans being the FSU wide receiver coach next year? I would go less than 50% at this point. Yeah, I was going to call it a toss-up, but I I could do that. I could go less than 50. Go I think 40. there's probably a good chance that they make a move knowing that, you know, his uh his contract comes up in about 2 months. I think there's a chance. I just feel like that position group has been dreadful. Like I think if you're solely grading an individual on their position group and how their position group is performing. It's very tough to kind of fight that battle of, yeah, keep them around needs to be the same. And maybe it's not him. Maybe it's solely the guys that have been recruited to that position. Some of which he recruited. I don't know if the entire room is his, but obviously some of it is. Yeah. But and I, nothing, I know. you know, nothing against Ron Dugans, but I think a lot of the reason he was, he was kept on Mike Norvell staff is because he had an extra year on his sa- on his uh, contract. When FSU got him from Miami, they, they gave him a two-year deal, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, right. he had an extra year. So that was part of it. They were going to pay him one way or another last this year. And I think having him on, you know, FSU has fi- some financial 
issues and keeping Ron Dugans on was better than paying two wide receiver coaches. And optically, they did the year before too. optically <laughs> having the two FSU legends who were considered high end position coaches, Dugan. Somebody, hold on. Somebody asked about, about Norvell's organization compared to Willie Taggart's organization. Why don't we just mention the fact that Willie Taggart had two wide receiver coaches? Oh no. And one wasn't coaching. Um, yeah. Not a good comparison. Uh, the, the Willie Taggart apologists have come out of the woodworks the last couple of weeks. And I find that very amusing. Uh, because get, get they, over it. They, they Let forget. me say it abundantly clear. Get over it. The man was nine and 12 in 21 games. This program stunk under him. It was not getting better. It was an unorganized mess. The whole roster was in up upheaval. Yes. They're currently God awful. They are bad as hell this year. I'm not excusing anything that current head coach is doing by making this statement, but Willie Taggart earned getting his ass fired. Let's not sit here and act like you didn't. Let's not act like, oh, if we gave him another year, this year would be so much better. For the love of God, with 2020 and how it's going, I don't know that there's any way you can forecast that FSU would be doing any better. It is nuts, man. It's stupid. And people that like to do it, they're idiots. Let's just say, (laughs) frankly, they're idiots that like to say, oh, Willie Taggart. Willie Taggart led FSU further down the downward spiral that he took over. He was handed a mess. He handed off a bigger mess. That's not what you're supposed to do. The next coach is supposed to make it better, and maybe it plateaus, and he has to move on. He wasn't doing that. FSU ran away from that as fast as possible because they were losing money. They were off on the field. Recruiting had gone completely down the tank, and they weren't going to get better. FSU would be no better today with Willie Taggart coaching. I I just – I know people think I hate Willie. I don't care for Willie. I didn't have a good relationship with him by the time he finished up here. So, yeah, some of it, sure, might be a little personal. But he wasn't a good coach. Get over it. The APR got better, though. Oh, yay. Um, Sunday Gold wants to know, (laughs) highest odds for starting QB to open 2021, surgically repaired Travis, Chubba, (laughs) Altmaier, or Rodemaker? Turn Travis into the billion-dollar man. Just replace him. Oh, that's a really – that's a really good question. Uh, or you take the field. None of the names. It's like a graduate transfer or something. I'm going to go with Chuba right now. Just And that's crazy because he has like five completions in two games. But, yeah, I think Chuba. I think Chuba because he gets probably a month of experience here coming up. Then he gets a full off season. Uh, he probably enters the spring as QB1. I don't think you can reasonably build around Jordan Travis with the injury concerns. Do you recruit a grad transfer? I think that's what you use this month to figure out whether you need to or not. I know we said no way, like entering this season, but now I think that's totally on the table. And am I off on that? Like, I think, I think you at least have to explore the option if things don't go well with Chuba. I think you always have to make sure you have four capable bodies in that room that you can put into a game. So I, I think that's where it stands. If you have any concerns that somehow the three that are there and the one that's coming in is somehow not going to be the four then you would have to maybe go that direction. The, the trick is it either has to be someone who definitely is going to be start. can't be the Alex Hornerbrook. There you go. No, Justin Fields no. or Jalen Hurts, or both, as we were told under the Willis. Among names that need to be forgotten, Justin Fields is among them. Nope, Justin we're Fields, Jalen there. Hurts. Both we're coming. almost there. He's almost a Jacksonville Jag, so don't uh, worry. Or I was going to say, ooh, I like that. Well, I was going to say, too, if you did take a grad, grad transfer quarterback, um, if it's not a surefire starter, it's got to be like a guy who's not invasive to the others and more of a, a career backup who's fine with that. One of the okay. other. Swivel Noel. Now, I posted this thread like yesterday afternoon, so it was well after all the news went out. So on a scale of 1 to 10, what are the odds Terry is with FSU next season? Is there two Terrys? Z- zero. 
Is there another Terry on the team that I don't know of? <laughs> Terry on Arnold. <laughs> All right. Mr. Marksman wants to know, you're the head coach. Besides playing time, what's your pitch to recruits and transfers? I think it's Maker's Marksman, not Mr. Marksman. And is your philosophy geared more towards casting the widest net possible, which can limit time spent on each individual or zeroing in on your top guys with much more relationship building? Chris, this is a good one for you. Well, on the first one, I think you're you're selling playing time first and foremost. Kids love to be able to come in and play immediately, especially portal kids are going to fall for that. Um, but in the other way, you're also selling come be part of rebuilding something. And then on the second part, I think you do have to cast a wide net. I'm truthfully surprised they haven't casted a wider net. Um, but you also need to know when to cut bait and run. There are guys that you can offer. And after you have that first conversation, you know it's not happening. You don't need to waste any more time there. You need to figure out the guys that are attainable. Big Drick Nolt, how many years will it take for more Mike Norvell to sign a prospect who is ranked top 25 overall for the state of Florida? I think they can maybe get it done next year. Not yeah, this I don't, year. I don't see it happening this year. I mean, who's actually still on the board right now that we know of that falls into that? Arnold, but that ain't happening. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anybody else that falls into that category? They'll do it next year, you guys. I'll put money on it. Put a steak dinner there on it. There you go. I mean, right. the, the kid they have for next year from Georgia is an elite one. Yeah. Um, you know, Woodson's relationship played a huge role there. Uh, Travis, uh, I'm forgetting Hunter, Hunter, Travis Hunter, Hunter. or is it Hunter Travis? It's Travis Hunter. Okay. Travis Hunter's relationship with Woodson played a huge show, but he's one of the best in the country. Um, I don't know. I mean, the further dead period gets pushed back, the more I feel, you know, concerned about what they're going to be able to do with the next class. They're not able to lay inroads. If you can't lay inroads and build relationships, it hinders the whole recruiting process. It's just how it works. And I'm t- I know people are tired of that excuse, and hell, I'm tired of saying it, but it's also true to a degree. When you have a staff that doesn't have natural built relationships with the people they're recruiting primarily. Um, here's a good one. Chris3 wants to know, Brendan, I'll throw this to you. Any chance FSU goes after Pruitt or Muschamp as DC should either well, become available? Well, you have to assume a few things happen, right? Uh, one, that those two coaches are indeed fired. And, and two, that, that Adam Fuller isn't here. I... I don't a lot of dots to think, be yeah, there's a lot of things to happen. I don't think that Florida state is in a rush to move off of Adam Fuller. I think that's a tough pill to swallow financially, but also just this year is so tough to judge a defensive coordinator on. I wouldn't be surprised if FSU is at least vetting options to see if there is anything out there. I think that's reasonable at this point uh, because the defense has not gotten better. It's actually taken steps back the last couple of weeks. It seemed mm-hmm. other than maybe against Pitt. So it's early to say that, I guess, that because there's a month left in the season. If things keep going bad, I don't think that's the craziest idea in the world. Maybe that I would have thought a couple of weeks ago, uh, but I don't have names. I don't have, know if Pruitt or Muschamp or Charlie Strong or anything like that. If Pruitt gets fired and Fuller is no longer here, I'll, I'll have a pretty good idea if if Pruitt's coming to FSU. But <laughs> we're a long way from from that happening. Um Seminole 740, do you see us winning any remaining games? Um, I do not. Chris, do you? I think Duke is a possibility. Brendan. Hell yeah. All right. I picked him to beat Clemson in the beginning of the season. <laughs> it's going to happen. Plain possum. 
Mr. Foreman wants to know, can you please explain the whole scholarship limit deal again? How many can we take? Are we truly limited to 25 recruits and transfers this year? No one wants to take it, right? I muted my mic with the hopes I didn't have to take it. Chris is legitimately hiding. Uh, yeah, no one wants to take it. One. <laughs> it's confusing. It is. Um, let's see. Okay, what do we know? One, there's currently a 25-man limit. I don't think that's going to change, right? Uh, does FSU have any back counters? Can they go back from the 2020 class or 2020 class and borrow from it? I don't think so, right? Because they I ran out of room. So. They ran out of room, Josh. Remember there was a right. talk about getting the right tackle who went to Miami and they ended up having to just say we're committing to Jordan Wilson at tight end. Um, they picked one Wilson over the other. So I don't think they have room to go back. So the 25-man limit exists. I think you're capped out at 25 in this class. I don't think there's room to go backwards. Can you borrow ahead? Is that possible, like later in in the calendar year? Well, you can do blue shirts, gray shirts, that kind of stuff, where you essentially take a guy in this class, but he won't count till next class because he won't be truly part of the program in the sense of being available to play in the year, first year. It is kind of crazy to me that the NCAA and shocking, I don't agree with something that they're doing, uh, that they're allowing this to be a year of no loss eligibility, that seniors are allowed to return for the 2021 season, but then you're not expanding. Are we sure they're not going to? I know we haven't heard. We haven't heard it yet. No, we're not sure. I mean, mean, there's making up as they go along. So I don't know what could happen. And talking to coaches, I've heard, and a lot of it's just kind of theory from them, but some of the older ones will talk about when they reduced down to 85. I want to say it was over 100 at that point. They did essentially like 105 to 95 to 90 to 85 over like a four-year span. I've heard some propose that there might be like a two-year window of recalibration with 85. So essentially expanding it to say 85-plus returning seniors so if you have 14 returning right. seniors you're at 99 the next year you have to be at this reduced number say 90 and then the next year is back to 85 but the NCA hasn't put any of that in writing hasn't put any of that before voting it's not one of those things you're voting on next Wednesday like extending the dead period they keep screwing with recruiting and the ability to do so while not addressing some of the other decisions they've made and how they impact what's going to happen next year. It's just, it's normal NCAA operations. I mean, you want to talk about something that's not organized. The NCAA is most unorganizing in the history of mankind, maybe. And here we are. We got five more minutes of Chris time because he's going to go cheat on us with another podcast. Um, all right. We got a lot of repetitive questions, so I'm skipping ahead. Um a lot of coaching staff questions. Do you think Dugans and Odell will be moving on? Has been asked about eight times. Um, we've addressed those rumors. We think there's a chance. We have not heard anything substantial yet. It's still a little bit early for assistant coaches to be, for decisions to be made on those guys. It's pure speculation at this point. Um, South Florida, although he wants to know, is one 2021 QB addition enough for the QB room next year? If not, what should be the plan for 2021? So, so that's for uh, this recruiting cycle. Luke Altmaier is currently committed. Um, I do think at the high school level, they're okay. And we addressed it earlier. I think it wouldn't be a bad idea to take maybe a grad transfer arm that could come in and play if needed. But um, I think the, the, I think right now they'll be okay with signing one 2021 QB. If there's a second additional QB that they don't want to turn down, they could take him. I think four is a magic number for that room. As long as you feel confident that you have four and those are your four, then that's how you roll. Yeah. 
Always has been. Has Norvell paused on recruiting 21 to focus on the product on the field? No, no. they have not. Any no, updates not. on targets? Yes, we've updated several. Um, Hargrove's top three are all packed on the struggle bus. No social distancing. We've got to be the favorite, right? With Muschamp's hot seat and the winless uh, Nittany Lions. I don't love that they offered a running back yesterday. Yeah. I didn't need that in my life. That's I, not a- uh, I, Hargrove is someone we need to catch up with, to be perfectly straightforward on that. It's been a while since we've talked to him. He's dealt with an injury, which sidelined him a good bit. He got back on the field, I think, last week was his first game back after missing almost a month, I believe it was. Um, so kind of left him be while he was banged up. But he's someone we need to check in with. FSU loves him. I've always been told that him and Cardwell are their one and two as far as their target list at that position. And that's been consistent that when Jalen White was making his decision he didn't make, that's what I was told. I was told it before that. So that's where things stand in my head. It's not a great year for running backs. They don't have a really big running back board, as Chris alluded to. They expanded a little bit. Uh, that's why Josh reported like a week or two ago the Juco market is something they're at least exploring as well at that position group, just, just to have on the back burner. Okay, one last question. I'm going to save the best one for last. FSU0421 wants to know, Durden or Warren Thompson joining the opt-out list? Uh, I I'm believe, joking. That's a good question. Oh, no, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened before the end of the season, one or the other. Okay. And, and Warren Thompson, I mean, I, from what I've heard, I've checked a little bit behind the scenes on Warren. I don't think he's necessarily going to opt out during the season, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if he hits the portal after the season. I think Warren's trying to kind of um, – lay low a little bit. I know that's hard for Warren to do because it seems like he always pops up and and there's a big circus surrounding him at some point. But yeah, I think Warren kind of quietly goes off into the sunset, but there's still four games left. So we'll see what happens. There's some, Um, there's some rumors that Warren also has a banged up hand. Haven't been able to get that confirmed. Um, That might be playing somewhat into his limited reps here. We've seen in the last three, four outings. But it does feel like he's a kid that can't get on the rails here. Like it's not at any point kind of, you know, you usually can tell when a guy's progressing or at least it's happening or mm-hmm. they're at least practicing better and it feels like they're getting to a point. He doesn't feel that way. Like when I view him in a microscope. Yeah. This really is the last question. D. Heasy, he gave us seven aspects of the team that we're most disappointed in. He wants us to pick one. So I'll, I'll read down the list of seven things and we have to pick one that is the most disappointing to us individually. Okay. One, our stars not playing to their potential. Two, no safety or corner besides Asante playing well. Three, no growth from the young linebackers, Deloach, McCray, Glenn. Four, wide receivers have been crap. Five, coaching. In-game adjustments, game plan, player usage. Six, lack of juice in recruiting. I mean, FSU still has to mean something, right? Seven, still no usable depth on the offensive line. Which of these is most disappointing to you this season? Number one for me, the first one, the Stars not playing anywhere near to their potential. We went over the list of the most important players, the most impactful ones, uh, Tamora and Terry and Marvin Wilson, playing through injuries this year and not playing up to their potential and taking time to get up to a hundred percent has been mm-hmm. killer for this program uh, for this season. It's been awful. I'll go with the recruiting portion because for this thing to climb out of the hole, it's in that's got to happen. That's a good point. 
I'm going to go. We kind of knew that recruiting was going to be slow, right? Like, I guess that. Yeah, but you can't just, you can't just keep excusing it away. I understand all the circumstances and it's hella difficult. I get that. I'm not excusing that. But at some point you got to, you know, hit above your weight class to put in a boxing term, I guess, you know, you just, you gotta, you gotta do something because status quo ain't going to work and nobody's going to care in 2023 that you're bad because while 2021 was such a screwed up year and 2022 started slow because they kept extending the dead period, they're not going to care. It's a results oriented business. You got to get better on the field with the roster that you have to have better results. And a big part of that's in recruiting. And they have a chance to change that narrative with what they do to finish up in December and February and then with the portal. But to this point in time to the, you know, November, what is it? 12th. I would say recruiting is a concern. My basic, my biggest disappointment personally has been the wide receiver room from Tamori and Terry's expectations to returning to what we heard about Warren Thompson from the coaches in the preseason to what he's been on the field has been a complete disappointment. Um, we heard about how Ja'Kai Douglas and Corey Wren were going to be used in space and they were going to be explosive and they were going to add, you know, we haven't seen any of that. Jordan Young, he the only one getting abused on the field is him. Uh, Ontario Wilson has been abusement park. wildly inconsistent. Uh, we've seen Keyshawn Helton regress this year, and I know he's been injured, you know, coming off injury and all that. But just as a whole, I don't think any unit has played more poorly and been more disappointing than the wide receiver unit. And it's Florida State. You know what I mean? Like that position group should always be competent and you're in the state of Florida for recruiting in South Georgia. Like that, that shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. All seven NC points State that, 31, FSU 14. Bye guys. Have a great bye. day. Bye. Uh, uh, God, I don't know. I didn't think of a score yet. Uh, FSU, you know, FSU for the upset one, FSU 24, NC State 20. Defense comes to play. 24, 20. Okay. I got, I got, um, I got NC State 42, FSU 12. Um, they score 12 to all the fans that say we just want Noel. you know we want the staff just to recruit Knowles, people that love fsu you're about to see what a uh a team full of guys that just love fsu really looks like when you recruit that and you don't recruit talent i think it's going to be ugly this week brendan i think the the revenge the qb revenge tour continues on and bailey hockman is is looking for blood i think that this defense will they had had a Average game last week, uh, despite giving up 41 points, this de- defenders didn't really seem to like Bailey Hawkman last year. They went after him in a way mm-hmm. that they really don't go after quarterbacks. So that's what I'm banking on. I'm banking on J-Rob and Kane Doe uh, okay. uh, throwing Bailey Hawkman around. I'll take it, but I don't know if we're going to see that. Do you want to hear about my dream with Chris or should we just end the podcast? Um, no, I definitely want to hear about the dream. So Chris and I are in a hotel room. Oh, like, like when Never we travel. Mind. I don't want to hear Okay, that. all right. End the podcast. <laughs> Uh, for well, I'm Brendan Sinone for Josh Newberg, Chris Nee, somewhere in my dreams, cheating on me in another podcast. Uh, this has been on the bench. Thank you for listening. I know it's been a long one, hopefully, a fun and informative podcast. Thank you to Market Square Liquors, our sponsor, located off of Timberlane Road. Uh, we'll talk to you guys on Saturday after the NC State game, after FSU gets done demolishing Hawkeye.
chilling new original docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean and a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.